Hi guys and welcome back to another true crime and makeup time video. If you're new here, my name is Zara and I post a new true crime video every single week. So if you guys love makeup and you love true crime, definitely hit the notification bell button so you don't miss any of my videos. And yeah, subscribe, I would love it. Also, if you guys have any cool case suggestions, leave them in the comments down below. I love to hear what you guys think. You guys have such good suggestions. So speaking of suggestions, today's case was requested by Talia and thank you so much Talia for this case suggestion. I actually knew about this case and it does take place in Australia and it is a very brutal case. And once again, it is a crime that takes place against a woman. And I know I've done a few of these, but I think it's important to share these stories. I try to not only cover you guys' requests, but also talk about these cases that I feel like are important. And this one definitely is. And the details, you know, can be a bit distressing. So a warning right here. But let's get into today's case and talk about who Anita Cobby was. So Anita Lorraine Lynch was born to her parents on 2nd November 1959. Her parents were Gary and Grace Lynch and she was born in Sydney, Australia. Anita also had a younger sister that was named Catherine. And I mean, by the photos I'm going to share of Anita, you can see she is gorgeous, like gorgeous. When I think back to these women, like back in the day, like they didn't need no BBL. They didn't need no nose jobs, things like that. Like they looked so good <laughs> naturally. And it's like, dang, our world now is very different. So she could have easily been a model. And she actually dreamed of becoming one at that time. During her youth, she participated in so many beauty pageants and she won some of them. At age 20, she won the Miss Western Suburbs beauty pageant. And this actually got her a spot in the Miss Australia pageant. Now, Anita did have a very promising future in the world of modeling, but she decided to follow in her mother's footsteps and become a registered nurse. Now, she met her future husband, John Cobby, while studying to become a nurse. When she was at Sydney Hospital, John was 23 years old at the time, and he was also studying to be a nurse, or he was a nurse, I believe, and he fell in love with Anita immediately. John felt like he was super lucky to even be considered as like a dating prospect by a woman like Anita. And he was actually a really charismatic, good looking guy. They married on 27th March, 1982. And Anita and John, they really enjoyed their married life. And a few years into their marriage, John would actually win like some bets on horse racing and come across a large amount of money. So I think he won $10,000, something like that, which is a lot of money back then. Like it's a lot of money now, but back then that's a lot of money. So they decided to take that money and go have a holiday, live some life. So they actually went and traveled to the US and also Europe. They returned to Sydney in 1985 after their vacation. And now at this point, Anita was only 25 years old. Like she was still quite young, you know, to be married and settling down that is still back then I guess it wasn't that young but it's young and Anita was young and carefree and she wanted to actually continue just traveling and like living her life like she didn't want to settle down as yet whereas John was the opposite like he was you know already married but he was so excited to just like plant his feet to the ground and then start a family with Anita but Anita she didn't want the same thing as yet she had actually suffered a miscarriage when they 
first got engaged and that was just something she was still coping and dealing with. So she wanted to just continue exploring the world and just living her life for a little while longer. Now, this obviously wasn't a good situation for two people who are married and, you know, they don't want the same thing. They've been married for a few years at this point. And, you know, John, in his eyes, he's like, it's time, you know, for me to be a dad. And they just kept fighting and it wasn't, it wasn't like ideal marriage. So eventually later that year in December of 1985, John and Anita, unfortunately, they separated. Now, according to Anita's friends, Anita, she began dating other men and she had no intention of getting back together with John. But this is super unclear. There are other reports stating that, you know, maybe they were planning on getting back together. But either way, um, Anita, she moved in with her parents, like back in at her parents' home when she separated from John. Her parents lived in Blacktown, which is an outer west suburb of Sydney. Now, on Sunday, Feb, February 2nd, 1986, Anita, she is now 26 years old at this point. She wakes up at 5 a.m. to get ready for her shift, you know, as a nurse at Sydney Hospital. And this area of Sydney was a very busy area. It was basically part of like the main city area. And there was a lot of like hustle and bustle in that area, especially, you know, on work days. So she gets ready. She takes a train into Sydney from Blacktown and she works the 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. shift. Now, during this time, John and her, they still kept in touch with each other. They didn't hate each other. So John, he uh, calls Anita while she's at work and he's like, hey, do you want to hang out or, you know, have dinner later on tonight? And Anita tells him, I've actually already got some plans with friends. We're going to be going out to dinner. And that was true because she had also told her mother that she was going to be home a little bit later after her shift that day because she had made dinner reservations with friends. So after work, it's like 3 p.m., Anita, she changes out from her nursing scrubs and she puts on, you know, an appropriate outfit for dinner. She changes into a white sleeveless shirt, pink and white striped pants, and then a black belt. Anita and two of her friends were also nurses, um, Annette and Elaine. They met up and they went to have dinner together at a Redfern restaurant that evening. So after they finished dinner, they finished it pretty early, like 8.30 p.m. that night. And her friend Elaine, who lived in Crow's Nest, which is like 15 minutes from that restaurant, offered Anita a place to stay that night. She was like, just come back, stay at my place. And Anita, you know, declined this offer because she was like, her shift for work the next day didn't start till 1 p.m., like 1.30 p.m. So she was like, I just want to go home and I just want to be able to sleep in tomorrow, you know? So her friend Annette then drove Anita to the Central Rail Railway Station at around 8.45 p.m. And Anita caught the 9.12 p.m. train to Blackdown Railway Station. And she arrived at Blacktown at around 9.45 p.m. So on arrival into Blacktown Station just before 10 p.m., she went to find a payphone to call her father. Now, the usual routine was that Anita, she would call her father whenever she arrived into the station or, you know, wherever she was to pick her up so he could drive her home. Well, this was obviously well before mobile phones were a thing. So she goes looking for this payphone and she probably had this regular one because it's a station outside her home. So she knew this payphone. However, when she goes to that payphone, she can see it's been like vandalized. So she's like, oh, like, you know, most likely there aren't like just payphones everywhere. So she's like, 
it's fine. I'll just walk home. And, you know, usually she would call her father for this ride home. But even at the taxi rank, like there were no cabs waiting there. So she was just like, I'll just walk. It's fine. The walk to Anita's parents' house or where she was living at the time as well was around 30 minutes. So she goes and begins her walk home. Now, unfortunately, Anita would never make it home that evening. As Anita walked on Newton Road around 9.50 p.m., a group of five men, including three brothers, pulled up beside her and they were driving a Holden Kingswood car. The men were later identified as Michael Mick Murphy, Gary Murphy, Leslie Murphy, the three brothers, John Raymond Travers, and Michael James Murdoch. Now, two of the five males, they jumped out of the car and then they grabbed on Anita and they pulled her into the car. Anita was kicking and screaming, trying not to get in, but they forced her in. Once the men got her into the car, they forced her to remove her clothes, but she refused. She was like, I'm not doing that. And, you know, she was begging them to let her go. And she was also telling them like, look, I'm married and I'm also on my period. Like, you have to let me go. Like, you're not going to be able to do anything with me. I'm on my period. Please let me go. Now, when she refused, they got angry and they repeatedly punched her in the face until they broke her nose and her cheekbones. They then to Nita and forced her to perform oral sex on them in the car. We're not exactly sure how many men, maybe all of them, maybe only a couple of them. So the men, they then drive to a gas station and then they pay for the gas using Anita's money. And after this, once they get the gas, they drive on over to a cow paddock. Now, this cow paddock wasn't far from where Anita lived. They actually dragged her out of the car and threw like a barbed wire fence. And after this, they tossed Anita onto the ground and then all five men savagely Anita in this field and they did this for two hours and were just brutal just subjected her to brutality for two hours so they were concerned that she could identify them now obviously after everything they had done so because of this John reaches over slits Anita's throat nearly decapitating her And then the five men leave her in the field to die and they drive off. I mean, how many times, you guys, have I been talking about these freaking men decapitating women? It's just like becoming more and more. I mean, I mean, I know this is an old case, but it seems like such a common thing, like from the things from the cases that we've heard. It's it's disgusting. So the following day, Monday, 3rd February um, at around 2 p.m., A staff member at the hospital actually calls up Anita's parents because she didn't arrive for her shift. So they were like, oh, you know, where is Anita? We're just wondering where she is because she was meant to start like half an hour ago. So Grace, Anita's mother, she knew this was not like Anita. So she immediately kind of started to worry. Grace, Gary, and then Anita's sister, Catherine, they all began to wonder where Anita was and they decided to ring around. So they began calling friends and family and just being like, "Did you have you seen Anita? Like, did she stop by your house? Then later on, they even called John and they said, you know, have you seen Anita? And no one had seen her, none of them. So after this, they called triple zero, um, which is our 911. 
and they then report Anita missing. Now, the following day on the Tuesday, a local farmer who he was at the um, cow, the cow paddock, he noticed that the cows on his farm just kept gathering around this like object. Like he didn't know what it was. He just saw them gathering around and he was wondering what it was. So he went to go have a look and he walked on over and he saw the beaten and bloody body of Anita Cobby. When he looked at her body, he said that he was sure that she begged for death. He said it was a horrible sight and he immediately phoned the police and told them what he had witnessed. He then told police that, you know, a couple nights before he actually heard some kids like screaming in the area, but he put it down to just a bunch of kids like fooling around because around that area of his cow paddock, there was like, it was like known to be like a lover's lane for young kids to come and fool around. So he didn't really think anything of it. That's why he never reported anything. There were always cars coming and going. So he just really didn't think anything. Now, so the police arrive at the scene and when they arrive, they are totally and completely shocked at what they see. Anita's body or this woman's body that they didn't know was completely naked and it was lying face down in the paddock. When they turned her over, her eyes were still open and her face was like, they said her face was like full of sh like terror. Like she just had this like, I don't even want to know which just makes me feel so sick, like what she must have been thinking, feeling, which is horrible. So now she had this severe neck wound because the detective said that her head nearly fell off when they were trying to lift her up. And police speculated that an axe, you know, or a shovel had been used to cut her throat, you know, as if that wasn't brutal enough. She also had like multiple lacerations all over her body, but the true horror of what Anita went through would not be revealed until the medical examiner performed her autopsy. Now there was no identification on the body, you know, she was naked. So the detectives actually had no idea who this was, who they were dealing with. However, on Anita's body, they noticed this unique ring, which they took in the hopes of helping to identify her. Now there was a detective known as Detective Kennedy who knew that Anita had been reported as missing. And he was also at the crime scene of the body. So he slipped the ring that he found on her body off her finger and he put it into an evidence bag and he took it to Anita's parents house to see if her parents recognized this ring now when her parents were shown this ring her father Gary was like maybe it belongs to Anita but they couldn't be 100% sure now in terms of did anyone actually witness Anita's abduction there have been varied reports but I think it's kind of all different versions of the same story, essentially. Like, it's the same thing, but just different names or different sort of ideas and ages were reported. So the one that seems to be the most common and the most, like, accurate, I believe, is that the night she went missing in that street, there was a 13-year-old boy who witnessed it. Now, he apparently was in his home and he heard Anita screams. So he ran outside to see what was going on. When he went outside, he was just in time to see Anita being dragged and pulled into this car. He somehow, he said he ran to help, but he couldn't make it. And he was able to see the make and model of the car, though. Apparently, then he tells his neighbors or his siblings, something like that. And they go and they drive around town looking for this car, but they couldn't find it. So they end up reporting it to the police as well. 
But then another version of what I heard is that neighbors Linda and John had heard the screams of a woman and they go outside and they see a woman being pulled into a vehicle at around 9.50 that night. So their older brother, Paul, he comes home shortly after and he did not witness the abduction, but then he goes and he drives around looking for this car and he continues looking for the car and eventually he spots an uh, empty Holden near a cow paddock. Now he, you know, looked around for a while and he was looking at the car and him, he was like, no, this can't be the same vehicle. So he like dismissed it and he drove off. However, it turns out that this was actually the men's vehicle, but they had gotten out of the car and they had taken Anita and they had hidden behind some grass and they had like covered her mouth waiting until this man would eventually give up and drive off so that they could then continue what they were planning to do. Like, oh my God, if this is true, can you imagine? Like she was almost saved. She could almost have been rescued. Like, if there were mobile phones back then, I'm sure this guy would have called the police and been like, look, well, there's this car here. I don't think it's the car, but you know, like just, oh, it's just like the what ifs are horrible. I cannot even imagine Anita's panic when she saw Paul's car drive away. Like now no one's looking for me in this moment. Now back to her family, John, Anita's husband, or her ex, ex, technically, he was at dinner with his father and a friend when, you know, um, her parents rang him up and said, you know, have you seen Anita? She's missing. And the funny thing is, tells you about technology back in the day, uh, Anita's mom, she, her, her mom, Grace, found out that John was at a restaurant, you know, when she was looking for him. So she ends up calling the restaurant and asking him, you know, have you seen Anita? At this point, Anita obviously had not been found as yet. And once John learned of this, he was distraught. So he spent the next day actually looking and driving around for Anita. And, you know, he was driving around visiting, like not visiting, but looking at friends' homes, like maybe she's here, maybe she's there. And John and Anita had actually made plans to meet at this beach called Shelly Beach that day. So John did just that. He drives to Shelly Beach, you know, hoping that she's just there waiting for him. like. He just had these hopes. He was listening to the radio and just sitting there and thinking about how just months before they sat alongside each other at this very beach, just laughing and giggling and being in love. Then when he was still driving on the radio, he heard that a woman's body had been found in a cow paddock. And John knew that this cow paddock was very close to Anita's home. So he turns around, he pulls over at a payphone and he calls Anita's parents. Detective Kennedy had already arrived at her parents' house at that point with the ring. And Anita's parents were too distraught to speak to John. So Detective Kennedy gets on the phone. And then later on um, that day, John and Detective Kennedy meet up. John is shown that ring. And John confirms that that ring did belong to his wife, Anita. Not only was it just a normal ring, it was her distinctive Russian style wedding ring that he gave her. And he was just <sighs> distraught. And he said it was the worst day of his entire life. Now for weeks and weeks, Anita's murder and who could be her killers dominated the news. Police were on the hunt for her killers and Australia was devastated. Australia was angry. Everyone was talking about it and they just couldn't believe that a crime like this had even taken place. So during the investigation, hours were spent searching the cow paddock where she was, you know, left. They were also searching the surrounding fields for any type of evidence. Police were hoping to at least find the murder weapon, but they didn't find anything. She was literally found naked with only that ring on her finger. Her shoes, clothes, her black handbag with her wallet, and it also would have had her um, 
nurse's uniform in it. That was all missing. So now the murder investigation began as usual and... As usual, John was the first suspect, it always is. And the investigators, they pushed him into a wall trying to get a confession from him. And due to the immense grief and pressure he already faced, he actually confessed to killing Anita, but he didn't do it. It wasn't true. And this was a false confession and things didn't even add up. So the detectives, like, they also were suspicious about this confession. They were like, this doesn't make any sense because from the evidence, they believed the killing just looked to be this random act of violence. But I'm like, if that's what they felt from the beginning, why even, I mean, I know they have to do their jobs and question him, but like, why pressure him if you don't think he's the one that did it, you know? So Anita's funeral took place just a week after she was found and her parents were very quiet and they pretty much were composed throughout the whole funeral. But John, he was distraught. He actually had to be held upright throughout the entire funeral. And when her body was being buried he was screaming out like please don't take her from me don't take her from me now john prior to this had never been a big drinker and he you know found drugs repulsive but all that changed the moment he learned that anita died after the funeral after they buried anita john said that all he wanted to do was just feel hurt and he wanted to die literally the day after anita's funeral the day after john moved to the US. He used heroin, he used cocaine, and he drank a lot. He was taking enormous quantities of sedatives, of other pills, hypnotics, pain relievers, tranquilizers. And he also, you know, drank one whole bottle of scotch a day. That's a lot. He suffered a complete breakdown. And he said that was, you know, part of the reason why he decided to move to the US. He also wanted to move because of the excessive publicity. Everywhere, you know, he looked, he saw Anita. And he blamed himself for her dying. He states that he should have been with her that night. She shouldn't have been alone. And I mean, you can't blame yourself. You know, she was a grown woman. She wanted to live her own life. I'm sure she didn't want to be followed by you the entire time, you know, like, but you know, he's always going to have that regret and guilt. So back to Anita, the, an autopsy was eventually conducted. And through this, the, uh, examiner believed that there was more than one person that was involved and John was definitely you know then ruled out as a suspect the medical examiner I don't know how to say this in a nicer way stated that the evidence showed that Anita had been sexually assaulted in all possible places there was bruising on her head on her body some of her injuries on her head but were caused by feet and fists she had apparently been kicked and punched numerous times she also had one bruise that was caused by a considerable like blow near her right eye the report stated that she had abrasions to her back both legs breasts left shoulder and both legs and thighs plus minor contusions to both her upper arms. And a lot of this or some of this could have been um, in, like inflicted on her when they, was, when they squeezed her through that barbed wire fence. Both of Anita's shoulders were broken. Like this is how bad they assaulted her. Both, both of her shoulders were broken. Two fingers on her right hand were smashed from her defending herself. And that was possibly from a weapon. Three other fingers of hers were nearly severed from the object that sliced her throat. She had three major and three minor lacerations to her neck. And because of this, 
her right ear was like severed and most of the structures and ligaments in her neck on the right area were severed. It is estimated that it took at least two minutes for Anita to die from her neck injury and the blood loss. Now that was hard for me to even read and that's not going into full detail about what happened to her. Those are just like the summaries of what happened to her body and a radio host named John Laws actually leaked all this information to the public and he did this while he was live on air and you know obviously the police didn't want the public to know what happened to Anita but now after this radio host did this the whole public knew exactly what happened to her even Anita's family, like this was the first time they had heard these gruesome details. Now, later on, they state that this was probably for the best because at least now the public knew what happened to her. They had a right to know what happened to her and now they could be angry. Because of this, the public now demanded justice for Anita, who was a nurse and she spent her life dedicated to others. So also due to this, the investigators, they were determined to get these killers off the street and to find out what happened to Anita. They also never wanted a crime like this to happen again. So they reenacted Anita's movements the night the crime took place. An officer actually named Debbie Wallace, she looked similar to Anita in like height and weight and just sort of features. So she dressed up in what Anita was wearing, like similar clothing. And she takes the 912 train from that central station to Blackstown, Blacktown station. She was also 25 at the time and yeah, it looked similar to Anita. So they were hoping that by doing this, it was gonna like refresh some people's memories or ring some bells for people. So this officer, she walks through the train, you know, like reenacting the movements and looking at passengers who had regularly caught that train, hoping that it refreshed their memories or brought back something. So then those neighborhood kids who had, you know, seen the car and saw Anita being dragged into the car, they were actually um, like given hypnosis or put under hypnosis. And through that, one of them was able to recall the license plate of the car. Like, isn't that incredible? So police, through this information, they then trace that vehicle and find out that it had been stolen. Then someone called in with a tip and this tip led them to the Murphy brothers. On 21st February, 1986, Michael Murdoch, John Travers and Leslie Murphy were all arrested. So Michael was charged with the car theft, but he was released on bail. But Gary Murphy and Michael Murphy, they went into hiding. So only one of the brothers was arrested. The other two just ran. Now with the help of a female, She's only known as Miss X. So she knew the men, she knew all of them, but she was able to obtain a confession from Leslie Murphy and John Travers. And she actually became a crucial figure in the case. So the police wired her up, they give her cigarettes and she goes to visit John Travers in jail, offers him the cigarettes and she starts a conversation, you know, about the murder. She then goes to Michael Murdoch's home who was out on bail and she tells him like, I spoke to John about what happened to Anita, this girl. And both of them, John and Michael, confessed to Miss X about the murder. Like they said, we did it. So after this confession, police then go and they question Michael. And then he later on goes and shows the, the detectives the street in which they pulled Anita into the car, Newton Street. And he says, yes, it was him and another man that pulled Anita and dragged her into the car, but he denied raping her. Now all the police, you know, had left to do essentially was find Gary and Michael Murphy, the brothers. So they broadcasted photos of the men 
on newspapers, on television, just everywhere they could. And someone ended up calling in a tip saying that they had seen the two men staying in a in a townhouse, like a two-story townhouse in the suburb of Glenfield. And this was like 33 kilometers away from the suburb of Blacktown. So they kind of distanced themselves a little bit. So the detectives go there and they find the two brothers in that townhouse watching TV. Gary, you know, tried to escape, but he was caught and... When he was caught, he peed his pants, and I'll put the photo up here. And Michael and Gary were um, captured and arrested on Feb 26, 1986, just five days after um, they confessed. And in total, like 22 days had passed since Anita had been murdered, and they caught all five men. Now, the Murphy brothers, they actually came from a very large family with multiple siblings, and the local police actually knew the Murphy family really well. Gary and Michael were unemployed while Leslie worked as a maintenance worker. Gary had some hearing loss, and he was a convicted car thief. Michael Murdoch, on the other hand, was unemployed, and he just worshipped John Travers for some reason. Now, I don't really want to talk about these douchebags, but I think it's important to know their background. So John Travers, he was the eldest of eight children and he was actually considered the ringleader of this entire attack. He was 20 at the time and he grew up very poor. He was an alcoholic. He was in and out of juvie multiple times because of so many crimes he committed against women. Now he also committed multiple acts of bestiality on multiple animals. And one time he took a goat Yes, a goat. He sexually assaulted it and basically like right before he was about to bust it, you know what, he reaches forward and he grabs the um, goat's neck and he like slits its throat. And clearly that's his form of um, murder or torture because then after that he cuts this goat up and he has it for dinner. Yes. I think he was really, really sick and one of the things about him that makes me angry is that he only did these things in front of like like with groups of people, like when he was like the star, he wouldn't, it's unknown if he did these things alone, but mainly when he was with a group of people. So he was in reality a coward and he would do this to like show people, you know? Michael Murdoch was a um, childhood friend of John Travers and he also spent a lot of his time in and out of juvie. And in juvie, it's alleged that he experienced a lot of sexual assaults. He was known to have written to like multiple politicians at the time seeking protection from these assaults, but then he goes on to assault other women. Okay. Makes sense. Michael Murphy, one of the brothers, he was the eldest at the time. He was 33 and he was actually a prison escapee at the time that this took place. And he was supposed to be serving a sentence of 25 years. Gary Murphy was 29 years old at the time and he was known to be very violent and commit a lot of car thefts. Larry Murphy was 24 and he was actually the youngest brother uh, or sibling of the Murphy family and he was known to also just have a very like violent temperament. Now all five men were charged with Anita's murder and none of these five men showed any remorse for her killing. They actually laughed and smiled at each other in court during the trial. So they stated that they spent the night of the murder, they were just drinking, hanging out together. And then when they were driving back is when they spotted Anita. That's when they grabbed her, they took her in the car, they committed these acts, and then they took her to the cow paddock field to rape her once more. And they said after they committed their crime, and they left her in the field. They actually took her clothing, her bag, and they burned it. And that was their plan for the night. They said, you know, Anita fought really hard. And thank God she did because 
her screaming and everything is what allowed witnesses to um, you know, come out of the home and at least identify the car. If she hadn't have done that, maybe these men would never have been caught. When they appeared in court over those two days, a massive crowd of like 200 to 300 people would gather outside the courtroom every time, just like very angry and like essentially protesting. All five men ended up pleading guilty, but John, he only pleaded guilty last minute. And the trial started on 24th March, 1984, and it lasted 12 weeks. On June 10th, 1987, all five men were found guilty of Anita's murder and they were all sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. The judge has actually marked on each of the men's folders, like there's a clear statement there saying, never to be released, ever. Now, Michael Murphy, he died from liver cancer in 2019 and John Cobby, Anita's husband or ex he responded to his death by saying, one down, four to go. Now on June 25th, 2019, a gang of inmates attacked Gary Murphy, who was 61 at the time, in a shower block at the prison. And a month later, he was actually seen in public for the first time since the attack. He was emerging from the hospital and he actually was handcuffed and in a wheelchair. And reporters who were there, they approached him, they said, hey, do you have any remorse over the killing of Anita Cobby? Do you want to say anything to her family? And he just remained silent. The other surviving killers are in various prisons around New South Wales. And after Anita's murder, her parents started what was called the Anita Cobby Nursing Scholarship. And they started this to aid nurses um, to continue their training and their studies. A small uh, park in Blacktown was also named after Anita in her memory. And it's called the Anita Cobby Reserve. And it's only a little like a short drive away from where her parents lived and um very close to where she was she was abducted now honestly I have no words really about this case like I said these attacks on women like they they are important to me and this one does hit close to home literally if the men drove past a few minutes later none of this would have happened like but then at the same time it probably would have happened to another woman you know what I mean like if it wasn't Anita Cobby it was someone else and these men clearly had their sights set on someone that night. It's so not satisfying to know how these men laughed and smiled in court. Like, I think that makes things worse, doesn't it? It makes you angrier, but you know, at least justice was served in a sense in this way. I really hope it was an act and they were just acting that way because they were so terrified really of what was about to happen to them. They would have been the most hated men at that time in Australia. Also, when I was doing a little bit more research on where they are now and things like that, and I don't mean to sound happy about it, but I kind of am happy about it. Um, I heard that these men, or I read that these men were treated horribly in prison as they should be. So rumor has it that it was either Leslie Murphy or Michael Murphy, one of the brothers. Um, they were attacked in prison and apparently a group of inmates held him down they inserted a plastic tube into his butthole and through this plastic tube they fed a barbed wire now this barbed wire was thought to be you know in memory of anita the same barbed wire that they dragged her through so this barbed wire was fed through this plastic tube and then the plastic tube was removed and now all that remained in his butthole was the barbed wire then after that was inserted the inmates then yanked the barbed wire out of his butt 
which left him obviously with permanent damage. Apparently, this brother had difficulty sitting down ever since that happened. So let's end it on that happy note. And I hope you guys enjoyed today's video. Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. Have you heard of this case? And let's just hope that these attacks on women hopefully reduce in our lifetime. And I know that seems like a lot to ask, but I mean, you never know. Miracles could happen. So thanks guys so much for watching. Thank you for all your support over the last year. And I love you guys so much. And I will see you in my next video. Besitos. Mwah. Bye.